0: Does anybody know what's true anymore? I mean, truth, it's kind of hard to come by these days, isn't it? Every single day, uh, we see talking heads on TV bombarding us with dubious claims about reality. Uh, Fake news or real news, but that everybody's calling fake news or, or fake news that people are calling real news. You look at social media. Social media is now just a stream of unrealistic lifestyles and unsubstantiated claims and echo chambers for people's opinions. Expert scientists and medical researchers present claims to, uh, of what they've found and people can now just go, Mwah. no, I don't believe it. No, I don't think that's, that's true. Okay. Meanwhile, conspiracy theorists are doing great. They are having a, a heyday. You want to find proof? That Jay-Z is a time-traveling vampire or that the earth is flat or or that dinosaurs helped build the pyramids. Well, guess what? A few keystrokes and you're going to find exactly what you're looking for. Not only that, you're going to find a community of people who are ready to back you up. But then you start talking about faith and things get even bleaker. I mean, you've got you've got all kinds of people making claims. On one side, you've got you've got uh, let's say evangelical preachers blurring the line between faith and politics and blasting anybody who doesn't agree with every point of their theology as in league with the devil. And on the other side, you've got Instagram or YouTube influencers who who are influencing the mind of, of young people with this kind of morality soup that just basically says the most important thing is for you to live your truth and do what you think is best. 2020 man, as the prophet Isaiah put it, truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. That's how it feels. Doesn't it? We live today in the wild west of truth. And yet we're a church. We're a church. We follow Jesus. We, Jesus who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. That's what we say we believe. So what are we supposed to do about all of this? What are we supposed to do in the wild west of truth? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about today. We are in the fifth week of our series, The Next Chapter, During the first three weeks of the series, my dad, our founding senior pastor, he talked about uh, looking back over the last 29 years as a church uh, to see kind of what God has done. Where has God brought us as a community? And now that I've become the next senior pastor of Grace, uh, we're going to spend these three weeks talking about where I believe God's taken us in the days ahead. Last week, I began the series by, or my part of the series, by talking about self-giving love. Self-giving love, which is a concept I think is at the very core of who we are. And next week, I'm going to talk about how grace uh, needs to continue to be a refuge in the storm. Uh, A place that uh, those who are broken and abandoned by the world can find refuge. That's what I'm going to talk about next week. But this week, we need to talk about our approach to reality, to knowing what's, what's right, how we go about determining what God is actually saying to us. We're going to talk today about what I call the humble pursuit of truth, the humble pursuit of truth. And we're kind of, kind of going to be looking at those three words individually, humble pursuit and truth. We'll start with the word truth. What even is it? Where do we, where do we begin to discover what is true? Well, to do that, I want to look at uh, a passage from the book of Psalms, Psalm 25 to be exact. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me and uh, and we're going to read this together. Now, as with a lot of the Psalms, uh, we, this one is attributed to David, King David. Uh, but other than that, we really don't have many details at all. We don't know what was going on that led to this Psalm being written. We don't know the context, uh, but we can tell that Some kind of enemies, uh, we don't know what kind, we're we're bothering him. And so he wants to do the right thing. He wants to to respond in a way that's in line with God's intentions. So this is what the psalmist writes. "O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced. But disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God who saves me. All day long, I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Okay, I want to stop right there. Let's stop there. And I want to focus in for a moment on verses four and five as we try to answer this question about truth. There are a few assumptions that are at work here that we need to pay attention to. First of all, the psalmist says, show me the right path. Do you notice that? Show me the right path. The assumption there is that there is a correct path to walk in the first place. Second, he says, he says lead me by your truth, God. He's a, assuming that God knows what that right path is. And then he says, for you are the God who saves me. An assumption that being on God's path is a good one to walk because he's a savior worthy of following. So Psalm 25 in a nutshell is claiming that there is a right path. There is truth and God knows what it is. So there you go. And guess what? I believe that. I believe that. And I know you're thinking, whoa, wow, huge surprise that a pastor would claim that the Bible contains truth. But, but you've got to understand who I am and, and how I'm wired because I'm actually a really big skeptic. I'm a huge skeptic. I do not take claims at face value. I always want to chew on them and wrestle with them before I decide whether I believe that they're true. So how can I say as a, as a skeptical person that the Bible is true when there are so many other people out there who are, who are claiming to have the truth in our world? What makes me think that this book has any of the answers when everybody else has answers too? Is it just... Faith is it my faith? You know, or maybe maybe you're just supposed to believe what the book says without questioning it, and then when you die, you'll find out if you got any of it right. You know that that's what a lot of people think. That's what I used to think growing up. Growing up, I had the uh, the impression that God's truth was a, a set of objective facts that you had to believe. You had to get get those facts just right in your mind, and and if you believed them right, then God would save you. It was some kind of uh, cosmic final exam that I had to pass. I didn't want to lose that salvation. I didn't want to miss out on that or heaven. So I worked really hard to get my theological ducks in a row to believe the right things. When I went off to Bible college for my undergraduate, I, I debated with other other students. I wrestled with theology because I wanted to get it right. Right? I, I, wanted to, I wanted to. be to be right and I wanted to have the truth. But then two things happened to me. First... I went through a season of significant deconstruction in my faith. I had a lot of questions. You know, I'm a skeptical person. I had a lot of questions, but all the old answers, they weren't adding up anymore for me. They didn't, they didn't make sense to me anymore. And that caused me to really uh, deconstruct and, and kind of uh, shift on the foundation that I had of my faith. But at the same time, and I thank God for this. I had the opportunity to start traveling around the world and actually encountering the local church in different countries, and different cultures. I was exposed to how the ideas of scripture, how how the Bible played out in different contexts than my own, in different communities. I discovered in in my travels, Christ followers who didn't debate the ideas of scripture. They just lived them. (laughs) Wild thought, right? Humility and and generosity and self-giving love. They didn't stay up till all hours of the night debating theology. They just went out and and did it. That's how they lived. What I saw in these people was not dry theological facts. I saw the very presence of God enacted in our world. They were putting God's truth into action. They were walking on his path, as Psalm 25 says. And it brought wholeness and healing and love into the world wherever they went. They were not on a path of dogma. They were on a path of life, of life. And the the path that returns humanity to Eden. We've talked about this before. New creation, God making all things right through us. Through us, that was the path that they were on. By the way, this is why verse six in this psalm talks about God's compassion and his unfailing love in the context of truth. Because the driving force behind God's truth is his deep desire for us to live our very best possible lives. These Christ followers that I had met around the world, they had started to live into that and they began to experience that as the, as the best possible way for them to live. That's when I began to realize that truth is not some list of legalistic facts to believe. Truth is a path to walk. It's a, it's a way of living. It's a path of action that leads to our restoration and the restoration of the world around us. It leads to our broken world being healed. That realization, that that eye-opening realization, it changed my life forever because that truth, skeptical as I was, that was the kind of truth that I could give my life to. And although, yeah, that was my personal journey of, of truth and faith, it's also the journey that we've been on as a church. Grace Church, we, we believe that the Bible is overflowing with truth. It was handed down from one generation to the next for a reason. We believe that the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to us through, this, through these pages and that the Spirit continues to speak to us through one another today. So yes, there is truth. We believe that. We've, we, we've always believed that. But at Grace Church, we believe that the point of that truth is not for us to know right facts about God. The point of that truth is for us to walk with him on the path that he has for us so that our broken world can be healed in Jesus' name. So that every one of us can live our very best possible life. There is truth. There's truth. But there's more to this. There's more to this concept. So let's keep reading. Psalm 25, verse 7. The psalmist continues. He says, Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good, and he does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. Okay. So the psalmist is very, very interested in walking the right path, right? That's what we've already seen. He wants to walk God's path, but he acknowledges something that's, that's important. We can't miss this. Look at verse seven. He talks about the sins of my youth. In other words, he, he acknowledges I've messed up in the past. In verse eight, he says, he talks about those who go astray. In other words, he, he's saying people can lose sight of the path. They can, they can wander off of God's path. Making matters worse, when you look back at verse 3, there are those who are actively trying to deceive others. To actually knock them off the path of God's truth. So all that to say, finding and and staying on the right path is not a guarantee. That's what the psalmist is implying. We're not guaranteed to, to be in the right spot all the time, as long as we're on it at one point. We might drift off so how do we stay on the path? How do, we, how do we ensure that we are continuing to walk in God 's truth, especially in 2020, especially in this divisive time? How do we do it? Well, I believe the answer lies in the posture that we take. Verse nine says that God leads the what leads the humble in doing right. He teaches them the humble. This is huge, friends when we are looking for truth, when we want to make sense of our world, humility is the key. Okay, so what does that look like? Well, humility, when you're looking for the truth, it means acknowledging that we don't know it all. Acknowledging that, that sometimes we do mess up. We wander off the path. We make incorrect assumptions. We jump to the wrong conclusions. That's just a part of humility. Humility is a posture of open palms and a willingness to learn. It's a posture that acknowledges that every one of us views the world through lenses, right? We have lenses that color and warp our view of the truth. And and the problem is, or the, the goal is not to get rid of those lenses, but to simply acknowledge that they are there. For example, I know, and you probably know this as well, that I am a white American upper middle class male I was raised in a hyper-individualistic American culture based on the values of post-enlightenment rationalism and the worldview of Greek philosophy. There we go. So if I were to think that none of that influences my understanding of the truth, I would be fooling myself. Right? Those are lenses that I have that, through which I see the world. One of the absolute greatest gifts, I didn't expect this, but one of the most incredible gifts that came from my years of traveling the world was that I got to encounter other cultures, other worldviews, other values. And in the process, I became aware of many of my own lenses. I became aware of, first of all, how, how many different lenses there actually are. And I began to see many of my own invisible biases for what they were. And in the process, You can, you can pretty much expect that this would happen. I became far less convinced that I had some kind of corner on the truth. Now, was everything I believed wrong? No, no. But it was often, often incomplete. I believe that if we want to approach truth and the pursuit of truth with humility, as verse nine encourages us to do, then we have got to start by acknowledging our own limitations and our inherent biases if this, this analogy came to me as I was thinking about this, if God is a mountain, right? If he's a, if he's a huge mountain and we are just an individual, then, then we can only inevitably see one side of the mountain at a time. Others see the other parts of God and we, we're only going to be able to see one aspect of it. So let me add to my earlier statement. Let me add that with this idea of humility. Yes, there is truth. There is truth, but none of us have it all. There's truth, but none of us have it all. If we grasp this, guys, holy cow, it would change everything about the way that we approach our world. There's truth, but none of us have it all. If we want to walk the life-giving path of God, our very best possible lives, if we want to return to Eden, then we have got to be willing to learn the way, not just on our own, Not just from people who are just like us, but from people that are not like us at all. We need to start learning the way from people of other ages than us, other economic backgrounds than us, people who hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in languages other than English. If we want to fully understand community, for example, then then why would we only talk to other hyper-individualistic Americans? If we want to fully understand generosity, then why would we only talk to other upper middle class suburbanites? You see what I'm saying here? We've got to expand who we're learning from. This was one of the absolute best, best aspects of getting my master's degree at Fuller Seminary. Because sure, yeah, I I read plenty of stuff in my theology classes about, you know, written by uh, white European men, you know, like my dog, Jurgen Moltmann. Love you, Jurgen. But, but, you know what, my teachers in every single class, sorry, I'm really laughing about it, I love that name, it's the coolest name. Okay, my teachers, you know, in every single class, and it almost got to the point of being ridiculous how, how insistent they were on this, but it didn't matter what the class was, they were insisting that we were also reading stuff by Catholic ecofeminists and Jewish rabbis and African liberation theologians and South Korean church leaders. On and on, all of these different perspectives, they, they helped me see how many vantage points there actually are on the teachings of scripture. Time and time again, as I was going through my studies, things that I just assumed were true got turned on their head when they were viewed from another cultural perspective. Again, it didn't mean that my understanding of God was wrong. It meant that most of the time it was incomplete. I was only looking at one side of the mountain. And tell you what, I know you're probably thinking, well, I haven't been able to travel the world. I I haven't gone to seminary. So where do I even start with this? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you where to start. I want you to pick up a book. A book. It's called Santa Biblia, The Bible Through Hispanic Eyes by Justo Gonzalez. Okay, read this book. I mean, it's not like it's a really popular book. There's only 17 reviews on Amazon. But let me tell you, I read this book in seminary and it blew my mind. Gonzalez is a Cuban-American theologian. And in this book, he brings biblical stories and, and parables of Jesus. He brings them to light uh, in, in the context of how people from Spanish-speaking countries and, and migrant day laborers and Latino immigrants, how they see these stories through their mind's eye. And I will, I, let me tell you, it will blow your mind. I promise. If I had time, I would, just, I would just talk through some of the things that I never, ever would have thought. But when you read it through those contexts, it changes everything with the story. If you read that book, and and you study some of those stories alongside what Justo Gonzalez leads you into, I guarantee you are going to find richness in the biblical stories. The ones maybe you've heard a thousand times before that you've never seen before. Okay, that's a starting point. That's a starting point. Just a suggestion. Okay, so there is truth in this world, but none of us have it all. That's that fundamental thing that I believe about truth. There's truth, but none of us have it all. The only way to grow in truth— is to learn side by side with one another, to pursue that truth with humility, right? Open palms. You cannot learn even what your own biases and presuppositions are until you see the truth from another person's point of view. Which is why you hear me talking about the idea that grace is going to become a more diverse and varied and multi-generational community as the years go on. The more deep and profound our understanding of each other's perspectives is, that's when our our understanding of God becomes more deep and profound and life-changing. Think about how rich our knowledge of of truth will be when we are listening to the voices of one another and walking this path together. Can you imagine that? I think it's a beautiful vision. Walking the path of life as one. If we all have different lenses, and we do, when we're viewing the truth of God, if we all see the mountain from different vantage points, then every one of us not only has something to offer, but we, have, uh, we stand to have our understanding of truth deepened by humbly learning from one another. God leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. That's what Psalm 25 says. There is truth, but none of us have it all. And by the way, because of what's going on in our country right now, I just want to tell you that that this is a perfect example of of how we can apply this concept. This is so important for us to remember when we're seeing so much racial inequality and injustice being exposed in in America. If God's path, the path that we've talked about is a path of, of life and wholeness and unfailing love, if his path returns humanity to Eden... But then we look around and we see death and misery and injustice in our country. Well, what does that tell you about the path that we've been walking as a country? Is it possible that we've gone astray in some way? We must learn from one another, especially those of us who are in the majority culture. Those of us who are white at Grace Church. Look, we cannot see our own lenses. That's the whole point about being in a majority culture. You don't see your own biases. We have to be so careful, so careful about jumping right into what we think is the truth. I believe the time is now for those of us in the majority culture to submit ourselves to with humility, listen to the teaching of black leaders and black authors and black thinkers, not to mention the many other minority cultures who are represented at Grace. And in our broader community. We need to listen to the voices of those in our community. Who do not have the same vantage point on these issues that we do. Yes, we need to take action. Yes, we need to have compassionate justice and practice it. Like I talked about last week. But we will not know the right path to follow in this tumultuous time. Until we hear God's spirit speaking through our black brothers and sisters. We have to position ourselves to hear his voice. There is a path through this turmoil. There is truth to be found, but none of us have it all. We have to listen and learn together. Now, I mentioned that there were three words that I wanted to talk about today. The humble pursuit of truth. We've talked about truth. There is truth. Talked about humility. None of us have it all. Finally, I want to talk about this word pursuit, pursuit, Because when you look through Psalm 25, what you see is that the psalmist is pretty active in his search for God's way, God's path. Uh, Look at at some of the phrases that he uses. Show me the right path. Uh, Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me. Teach me. All day long, I put my hope in you. Down in verse 15, he says, My eyes are always on the Lord. So you get the sense that in this search for truth, the psalm writer is not just sitting in an easy chair, smoking a pipe, pondering the meaning of the universe. No, he is on a journey. he's, He's walking this road hungry for truth. He's dedicated to discovering God's intentions for the world and for himself. My eyes are always on you, Lord. That's why I call it the pursuit of truth. Not just the discovery of truth, but the pursuit of truth. Because I believe that that the pursuit of truth is a constant give and take. It's listening and learning and modifying the direction that we're going, growing deeper and stronger in our understanding of God's intentions for the world. Being willing to say, look, I might be wrong. You ever say that? I might be wrong. This isn't a one and done thing. This is a lifetime of passionate pursuit. Pursuit. And by the way, this is one of the reasons, among others, that I am a huge nerd. Okay? If you know me, you know I'm a huge nerd because I'm obsessed with learning everything. I want to learn about not just the Bible, but science and technology and anthropology and history and philosophy and nature. It exhausts all the people I care about, right? They all get really tired of this because I'm always talking about the new thing that I learned. You want to learn about cephalopod consciousness? I've got stuff to tell you because I know and I love and I love to learn. Okay, but I'm not into all of that just because it's neat, okay? It is very neat. It's a very neat thing. That's not why I'm into it. No, I am into it. I'm, I'm excited to learn these things because every little bit of knowledge that I'm able to gain helps me grow in my perspective on reality. It helps me develop my understanding of God and, and of our world. But that's not just me. I mean, yeah, that's, that's how I'm wired, but it's how Grace Church is wired. It's who we've always been. No, we're not all, you know, universally excited by igneous rock formations. But we are a church that learns. We're a church that learns. We pursue truth in scripture. We listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We learn from our international partner ministries. And we, we learn it from one another. We don't see science as a threat to our faith. We see it as a window into the mind of our creator. This is why grace is open to doubting. Open to Questioning. We don't shy away from challenging ideas. We wrestle with them. We pursue truth with open palms. Show us the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for us to follow. Is that the kind of church that you want to be a part of? Well, then let's go. Let's go. There is truth, but none of us have it all. So let's pursue that truth together if we do, if we commit ourselves to this humble pursuit of truth, then we aren't just going to know right things and we are going to begin to live in a right way that brings healing into our world on a path. On that path, we will find hope and life and healing and goodness and peace, all of it in the name of Jesus. And guess what? Guess what? The broken world around us, they're going to see that happening and they're going to want a part of what we have. And when that happens, Guess what we're going to say to them? Welcome. Join the conversation. The humble pursuit of truth. Are you all in? Because I am. Let's pray. Father God, I am so grateful that you are a God of truth. That you are a God of, of, of love. That you would be willing to share some of your wisdom with us as imperfect as we are. And so father, I'm just going to pray one thing, God, that that as we uh, seek to become the church that you have called us to be, I pray that your Holy spirit would open our eyes and our minds to listen to your voice and to pursue truth with everything we have, not so that we can get right facts about you, God, but that we can learn how you would have us live in this broken world. So father, give us your truth. Help us stay humble And let us listen to the voice of your spirit through the many, many people that you have called into your family. We love you, Father. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.